Uh, hello, everybody. Happy New Year. First, it's still January, so I can wish you a wonderful and happy New Year. And we are having a wonderful season, and I am thrilled at this. I'm halfway through my 10th season. It feels like I got here yesterday, and uh, I'm very happy that I'll be r remaining a few more years before. I'm also particularly proud tonight uh, because uh, there is a large contingent of people here from Germany, from the city of Cologne, where I was the music director for 13 years, and uh, they've come to see this abduction from the Soraglio, an opera I did there. More on that in a moment. So welcome to all of you. So, the abduction, the Soraglio. What is a Soraglio? I hear you cry. <laughs> Uh, most of you have never been to one, I'm assuming, or in one. Uh, it's a word you don't hear a lot of. Uh, it's, uh, we're, gonna, we're going to go into that shortly. Uh, and what abductions you've heard about, you've read about them, you've seen them, you may never have been abducted or participated in an abduction. Well, you're not going to be inside the Soraglio tonight. Um, there is not going to be an abduction. There's going to be an, sort of uh, an attempted elopement um, but that's not going to be successful. Um, so, so the the title is a is a is a curious one and a and a and a comic one, but a delightful one. Now, Mozart, uh, this is you probably know. Well, you'll probably know the big the so-called big five operas. This is one of them: uh, the Magic Flute, Così fan tutti, Don Giovanni, uh, and the Marriage of Figaro. This is written for any of them. Uh, right after Idomeneo, which uh, I consider them the big seven. Some people don't know abduction as well, and they think, oh, it's not, it's not, they, they don't know it, and so they think maybe, well, it isn't as great as the others. Well, maybe it's, maybe, if I'm giving, maybe it's a tiny bit less, less great, but I've always, for me, and my perception of Mozart, I've always considered it uh, as necessary for audiences, for the, uh, for musicians, for orchestras, for opera governors, opera, as necessary as the marriage of Figaro, as Don Giovanni, as Cosi Fantuti. Maybe it's because I had my first experience with it um, when I was 14, and I, hadn't, I didn't even know the magic flute yet, and I didn't know Cosi Fantuti. I'd never heard them, never seen them. So I knew the, I knew the abduction for Soraglio uh, before I knew them, so I always took it for granted that it was a part of that canon. What, how did I get to know it? Well, I was in a production. Uh, I, was, uh, I, I would do anything to hang around the opera. And so I was in the production, and I was dressed up uh, in a loincloth with uh, body makeup uh, with an enormous uh, palm branch fanning the Pasha Salem every time he came into the... It came onto the stage. So that was my, my first ex experience. Uh, I uh, I'm conducted a production in Paris with, the, uh, with one of Europe's greatest directors, George Ostrailer, in 1984. And 10 years after that, 1992, um, I conducted a production in the Cologne Opera uh, by who was then my boss, Michael Hampa, who directed it. That production was given here in Los Angeles. And it is the last time that the, that the abduction from, from the Soraglio has been done by Los Angeles Opera. That was 1995, um, in November of 1995. So if you can count, it's just over 21 years since this opera has been heard uh, in, in Los Angeles. And it was exactly the same production that I had con uh, conducted in Cologne between 1992 and 1993. Um, I hope that you will agree with me that 
a 21-year absence should never happen again. My purpose is to, is to convince you tonight uh, that it should never be that way. And uh, how many here have never seen the abduction from the Seraglio? You see, there's the, there's the proof right there. Well, this is a, it's a delightful opera. It is funny. You will laugh. You are allowed to laugh. You are supposed to laugh. You are allowed to applaud. You are supposed to applaud. Uh, there are operas where I tell you, don't applaud. Not tonight. Uh, Zalome. Don't applaud Zalome until, <laughs> until, that you, uh, uh, until she's dead. Okay? <laughs> this is an opera to applaud, so feel free. We appreciate it, and it helps, uh, the, uh, helps the atmosphere. The, um, the traditional production um, is uh, always in a Turkish palace. Uh, the, this is an untraditional production, um, but it is, a, it is a, a nice one because it tells the story and it doesn't change the story, really. It takes place on the Orient Express, that famous train that went between Paris and Istanbul for, uh, for many, many years. Agatha Christie was on it amongst other people. So you know, you, if you have an, a nice vision of that, you, that's where we are placing it. Now. Um, before I go too far, there's a little glossary here. I brought you a few words. Uh, so Seraglio uh, is a living quarters in a palace, in a Turkish palace. I would like to emphasize that it is a living quarters where the women live, the, uh, the women, the wives, the concubines, various other women, and pre-adolescent boys. Nobody else is allowed in there. Okay. Uh, it comes from it. It, uh, it, it actually uh, it actually comes probably from a, a, a Persian where a Persian word that means palace. Now there's another word we all know: harem. Harem is the um, uh, the word in Arabic, and it means forbidden. So what it is is a part of the palace where it's forbidden for men to go because that's where all the women are. A harem is not, by the way, a group of women at least at the beginning. It is the, it is the part of the palace. It is not the women themselves. So you cannot really correctly refer to that man and his harem. It's not right. So we're in a seraglio, uh, which is this living quarters. Now one of the, uh, the interesting, almost unique aspects of this opera is that it, it contains a lot of what's called um, Turkish music. And there is a there is a so-called Janissary chorus. Who are the Janissaries? They were warriors in the Ottoman Empire. Um, th that word uh, came from uh, meant new soldier, and they were conscripted. Usually, Christian boys were conscripted um, into this army. Um, eventually, it was a very well-paying army, and for several centuries. Uh, they were fierce fighters. They were famous for making a lot of noise and bringing instruments with them. And ha uh, with a high shriek, they would uh, m make their uh, enemies full of fear. So Mozart's picked up on this, but you're going to hear two very noisy choruses in this piece that are sung by supposed Janissaries. Um, these, in many respects, the one person in this opera who doesn't sing, Pasha Selim, Selim um, is, uh, uh, Pasha is a man of high rank, it was a government um, honorary position that could be given by the Sultan. Now the Turkish music, and I'll play you some examples very shortly, the Turkish music has the characteristic of um, being popular sounding, uh, a little bit 
down market, in other words, in the midst of a very serious classical music piece, if you introduce some Turkish music, it's to entertain, uh, entertain the audience. Turkish music was not written uh, for the most part in any of the German cities. It was, it was pretty much a phenomenon in Vienna. Why Vienna? Because Vienna, uh, the border of Vienna was right at the border of, the, uh, of what was the Ottoman Empire. Came right up to the border and for many centuries they fought each other and the, on and off and on and off. So the Turks were the great enemy of the Viennese. Now, the Viennese finally won that about mid, mid, midway through the 17th century. So that the 100 years after that, when Mozart is writing this, is, uh, this op opera, uh, it's, um, they've gotten used to the Turks being there and they find their way onto the stage. They're either comic characters or they're portrayed as sort of terrible devils. They're still the enemy, they're still. Um, Mozart's gonna transform that and more on that shortly. Uh, the instruments to listen for tonight are percussion instruments, the bass drum, the cymbal, and the triangle, ding, 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 and the piccolo. Uh, it's, if it doesn't have those instruments, it's not Turkish music. Now, it isn't, doesn't mean that the people are really Turkish that whom, to whom uh, the composer is referring. Turkish was anybody or anything that was foreign, anything that was outside of Vienna, uh, which was itself a very cosmopolitan uh, city, had a, a tremendous immigrant, uh, immigrant populations, very mixed, uh, and, uh, so that they were more used to the rest of the world. But anybody that was referred to as a Turk, it meant a foreigner. So I'll play you some, uh, I'll play you some, uh, some examples of that in a moment. Now, uh, this is the opera, you're not gonna have any trouble following the story. You're not gonna have any trouble liking the music. Mozart is magic, you could like it the first time, and if you're like me and you're still at it after 50 years, you're gonna love it as much after 50 years. That's the way I feel about it. Uh, but I'm gonna tell you a little bit about the characters of the story. It's a beautiful symmetrical uh, construction of these characters. It's a comedy. As it is in many comedies, there are uh, loving couples. Uh, there are two loving couples. And as it is in many of uh, plays, theater, drama, going back to Shakespeare, going to Moliere, uh, there are two levels of society because this was, a, this was a very present part of life. Aristocrats were aristocrats, servants were servants. Mozart had a particular taste for this. He loved this, and he, uh, he often, if not always, uh, took the side of the servants, or at least expressed, put in their mouths, very important uh, revolutionary thoughts. Maybe that's too much to say, uh, although The Marriage of Figaro was definitely a revolutionary work. Um, he has sympathy for the servants. He has sympathy for the women who were also in, to a great degree, a second-class citizen in those worlds. So we're gonna have, as in all Mozart operas, we're gonna, it's gonna be about love, because all Mozart operas are about love, but it's also gonna be about society. So we've got a noble couple. They're Spanish. Um, the woman's name is Constanza. This, by the way, happened to be the name of Mozart's wife. Um, Constanza means, uh, means fidelity, coming from constancy. Uh, so she's an ideal. We're, we're going to love her because she is, she is beautiful, she is sensitive, she is intelligent, and she is faithful. Okay. 
Now, she is loved by a man named Belmonte. He is Spanish also. And the story is that Belmonte and Constanza were separated along with her maid and his servant when there was a shipwreck. Pirates took the Belmonte, uh, took, took Constanza and the two servants and he sold them to a Turkish Pasha. Belmonte is looking for them. In other words, this falls into another category of this is a rescue opera. There's a soprano who is in a cage somewhere. She's captured, she's in a castle, and there is a hero, hero very often a tenor, who's going to go and, uh, uh, who's going to go and find her. Uh, this is as old as the Middle Ages and the Dark Ages, all of those fairy tales, how many times they're princesses, sleeping beauty, somehow this is a, this is a myth, a very deeply ingrained myth in our, in our civilization, that there's a, there is a young man who's going to find a, uh, an imprisoned woman. So this is no different. Belmonte is going to do that. He is going to go to this seraglio and he's going to try to abduct, let's say, take away because it's not a real abduction. He's going to take her away and that is the purpose. Now, they are Spanish. They are in love. Now there are two more. There's the servants. The servants are a woman named Blonchen. She has a German name, but she's really English. She is an English one. She is the servant of Constanza. And Pedrillo, who is the servant of Belmonte, and they're a couple. So you've got a couple, so to speak, up here, like Pamina and Tamino, and you've got another one on the servant class down here, like Papageno and Papagena. And we're going to see a lot of that interplay in that. Now, but that's not the end of the symmetry. The symmetry is, is here. We are going to have, both of those women are going to have another male suitor who is in love with them or at least wants to marry them. Constanza, the Pasha, who is the, who is the uh, honorific aristocrat in his culture, in his society, is in love with Constanza, and he is, he is wooing her. Now, he actually has the right, the power, to actually force her uh, to become his wife. There in Turkey, that's the way it is. Um, it, uh, so he, however, is an enlightened individual, and this is very important, bear this in mind. He is an enlightened individual, and instead of forcing her to love him, he says, I want you to love me of your own free will. And you're going to see that confrontation go through the entire opera. So already he's an extraordinary individual in that living in a country and in a culture where he has lawfully the right to make any woman his wife that he chooses against her will, he doesn't choose to exercise that right. More on that later. So Constanza has two men in love with her. Belmonte, whose name means beautiful mountain, or the uh, German form of that is Schoenberg, uh, or you may know August Belmont, whose name was uh, Schoenberg also. Uh, so that's his name. The, the, the names tell us already about the character. Belmonte is a beautiful mountain of a man, and Constanza is constant. So Constanza has Belmonte on the one side and the Pasha on the other side. Both of them are in love. Now let's go down to the servant class and we'll get to Blonchen, or Blondie, as that could be called. Uh, Blondie, of course, has Pedrillo and their sweethearts. Um, and there is a, a servant in the seraglio whose name is Osmin. Osmin is the overseer of the seraglio, or of the harem. His job is to keep men out of the seraglio, and he takes this job very seriously. 
The Pasha has said, you can marry this newly arrived English girl whose name is Blonchin. Blonchin is having none of it, and you're going to see that relationship as well. Now, Osmin um, is not enlightened like the Pasha. He doesn't understand why he can't just impose his love on, uh, if, if we want to call it that, on, on Blonchin. Blanchin expresses, is the new, she is the new modern woman in 1782. Uh, English, she says, we are English, Englander, uh, English, we are born to freedom. We don't accept being bossed around by men. Osmin has a hard time getting his head around that thing. So you're going to see a lot. It's going to be very funny. They are witty. They are very witty. The aristocrats are a little more serious, um, and that is a typical construction. Um, in the 18th century, even in the 17th century, it was thought that only noble aristocrats could have noble and uplifting and serious love, and the servant class had sort of nice, trivial, superficial love, playful love. Of course, we know that that's nonsense, but that's the way it's constructed at the time. So here we have both women have two suitors. Both of those, um, both of those suitors uh, uh, want, uh, you know, want to marry them, and. Each of them has a Spanish suitor, and each of them has a Turkish uh, suitor. Now, the whole point of this opera is going to come at the end. I shouldn't tell you the end, should I? Uh, let me think about it. <laughs> yeah. um, here is, the, here is the, um, the moral message which is delivered at the end. Nothing is as ugly as vengeance, whereas the quality of great soul is to be humanely kind and forgive without selfishness. Now, this is, a, this is a, a clear moral message, one that most of us can subscribe to. Mozart certainly subscribed to it. Um, you see it, it somewhere or other in many of his works. Uh, but it is interesting that the person who will embody this message and who will deliver this message is the Pasha Selim. And it is significant and this is no accident that Mozart has given that act to the Pasha. Uh, although he doesn't enunciate those words, he in fact, uh, he, uh, he lives those words. And putting that in the mouth of a Turkish Pasha who is a Muslim is very significant because what Mozart is saying it is not just a predominantly Christian audience, it was a totally Christian audience, saying, pay attention because people of other races, religions, and from outside of our little circle are capable of great moral, uh, moral level and sometimes a greater moral level than we. Um, so if anybody thinks this opera isn't timely, it's timely, and how? So I didn't give away the end, but uh, you, it, it's going to be happy at the end. Let me just tell you. They don't, they, there is an, an attempted abduction, elopement. They get caught. They are, they are threatened with punishment. And uh, I think it's going to end up happily. It's my own feeling about it. Okay, so now I'm going to move on uh, up to, to, I think I've given you the structure of, these, um, of, the, of, the, of the characters in this opera. We're going to be able to move on to the music, and I'm going to uh, interrupt in and out of the music. The first thing I'm going to do is uh, demonstrate to you all of the Turkish, or so-called Turkish music. 
It starts with the overture. Oh, this is an overture, by the way, which, uh, at the end of which you will not applaud. Uh, you won't want to because Mozart sneaks out of it and directly into the first scene. Now, he liked to do that occasionally. He had already done it in Idomeneo. He's going to do it again in Don Giovanni. Um, so you don't applaud at the end of the overture because uh, you won't even feel like it. Uh, Marriage of Figaro, yes. Cosi fan tutte, yes. The Magic Flute, yes. But not this one. So he constructs it, constructs it the famous ABA, one idea, fast, a slow idea, and then a, the number A comes back, the fast music comes back. The first thing you're going to hear is the Turkish music. Here it is. Now, you, hear the, you can already hear the triangle, the cymbal, a little bit the bass drum. That is the characteristic that keep us name. That is the Janissary uh, motto. Apparently, most of their music went in one form or another. Uh, more coming up. Now, here's another example. Here's the chorus of Janissaries. See if you can hear it again. Bump, 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 bump. Here it is again. That's how you know it's Janissary music. Here's another example. Some of you will know this. Start violin concerto in A major, last movement. So, no cymbals, no triangle, no bass drum, no piccolo, which was an another feature, but definitely that, and that makes it Turkish music. Here's another famous example, which you know. Beethoven, for the first time in the Ninth Symphony, brings in cymbal, bass drum, and, uh, and, and triangle. No accident. This is Turkish music, but it's in 1826. Interestingly enough, by that time, the mode for fashion and fashion for Turkish music had died down, but uh, it serves its purposes. Now, here's another example. Osmin and Pedrillo, the two servants, Spanish and Turkish, Christian and Muslim, are singing Vivat Bacchus. There are, uh, there, that is, well, Pedrillo uh, has managed to get Osmin to drink alcohol for the first time in his life in order to get him drunk so that they can, of course, steal the girls. That's a part of the plot. So, and Osmin falls for it. And at the end of this, there will be symbol bass drum and triangle and the opera is going to end with a 
variation on that rhythm. You can hear the bass drum in the cell. Okay, so you're all going to go out tonight. Here's another example of Turkish music in Mozart. The magic flutes. Monastatos, who of course is from Northern Africa. Okay, so now you're all set up to recognize all the Turkish music. Now, this opera is a hybrid. I should stop calling it an opera now because it's really a Singspiel. What is a Singspiel? You know what that means because we've already done the magic flute here. It's a, an opera where instead of having recitatives, which are accompanied at the harpsichord, which are half sung or spoken, but they're not spoken like dialogue, but they are sung, Instead of having recitatives, which came from the Italian opera, there are dialogues. So this is a Singspiel, Singen, obviously in German, to sing, Spielen is to play. It was a term that came into use. The magic flute is the most famous Singspiel of Mozart, if not the most famous Singspiel, and uh, the abduction of Seraglio is right up there with him. That being said, um, the combination of sung music and dialogue has had a long life. It did start back in the 17th century. Uh, Fidelio is a famous case of a serious opera that is a, technically a Singspiel. Um, then there became some, something called Spieloper in German. In Germany, that was, that was also this combination. Eventually, operetta is a form of Singspiel. And the American musical is a continuation of operetta and the uh, tradition of spoken word with music. Carmen was written for the Opera Comique in Paris, and it was dialogue and music. Uh, the Opera Comique uh, only did opera that was spoken and sung. Uh, the Grand Opera, there was no speaking, there was just music. So that distinction is made. Now, uh, the Kaiser, Josef, uh, at the time, had made a declaration that he wanted more German opera. He, he felt that the Italians had a monopoly on it. He wanted German music. He wanted German singers and musicians. And Mozart jumped at the opportunity because Mozart was always looking for work. Incredible, but it was so. And he, he got a commission to write an opera in German that would be in this form, speaking and uh, speaking singing. However, uh, you will see that there are two levels in the opera too. There's the Turkish music, the popular level, and there's also the Italian opera. It's mixed. You're going to have arias that only the greatly trained Italian singers were able to sing. Um, the role of Constanza, um, I will tell you, is one of the most difficult roles in the repertory, um, similar to the uh, Queen of the Night, but in some ways much more difficult. Um, she's known for her high notes, Constanza. Also, Blunchen has her high notes. And Osmin, the bass, has a massive low notes, uh, one of the lowest in the entire repertory. Okay, here we go. Here's your overture. And this is the A section. Fast, Turkish, happy, lively. a slow section. 
and a slow section in minor. So Mozart also tells us it's a comedy, but it's also going to have s serious emotions in it. And you're going to hear the woodwind instruments are going to be featured largely in this work. Listen to the beginning of that again in minor key. Remember in high school we were told minor is sad and major is happy. There's something to that. One more time, listen to that. Sad, sad, right? Now listen to this. Major, happy. A bright morning. All operas you know start in the morning at this period and they end up sometime during the night, if not the next morning. Now it's happy. It's happy because Belmonte has found him, found his way to the Pasha's palace. And full of hope, he's, gonna, he's hoping to get entrance into this. That very handsome sounding tenor there is Fritz Wunderlich, one of the great German tenors from the 60s. Now, he's not going to get right into the seraglio, of course, because there's an overseer. And here comes Osmin. Now, some interpretations of Osmin make him very wicked, very evil, and uh, I don't really share that, uh, but although I can't prove that I'm right and the others are wrong. Osmin, of course, is an overseer, and he's gruff, and he's uh, abusive, and he's belligerent, but I think he, way down deep he has a heart, and we see that heart um, various points in the, and we uh, and it is true at the end uh, he's going to go off in a rage because he's not going to get to marry his little Blanchin um, and he is given to anger that being said I think Mozart forgives all of his all of his characters always the only one who doesn't get forgiven is Don Giovanni maybe uh, or say there's a there's a group there's a group of those who are excluded at the end of the joy of the opera Don Giovanni certainly um, and there's also not a lot of joy at the end of Don Giovanni. Everybody's wiser for the experience. Um, in Cosi Fan Tutte, everybody's wiser for the, the, the experience, even though it's technically a happy ending. Um, Electra in Idomeneo is excluded. She goes mad and leaves. Uh, the Queen of the Night, Monasatos, and the three ladies are banished. So Mozart does punish uh, bad people. Or that, or, but I don't think Osmin is known. And he introduces Osmin singing his song. Osmin sings uh, while he's picking figs. Um, of course, there are no figs on the Orient Express, um, but usually he's picking figs. And he sings this sad song, and it gives him a, sort of a melancholy, which is actually very touching. <laughs> So this is minor, right? It's, it's sad. I think this is a, a clue to the fact that Mozart had sympathy for Osmin. This, he writes this in a key of G minor, uh, in, a, in a meter of 6-8, 
if you didn't go to conservatory, you don't know what that means. That's okay. It doesn't matter. The important thing is that you'll remember Pamina's famous lament when she's abandoned or thinks she's abandoned by Tamino. It's in G minor in 6-8. He reserves that key for, for very emotional, sad moments. And so we're immediately given a picture of a man with a heart. Right? He's singing this song. Uh, which is all concerned about if you have a sweetheart, treat her well, but lock her up because there's always a butterfly flying around who would like to drink the wine of others, and so on, so on, so on. So well, Belmonte is there. Belmonte is listening to this whole thing. Um, it's, you know, it's Osmin's version of Whistle While You Work. Um, and, Osmin, and, and, and Belmonte wants to get into the palace so they have a confrontation. He takes the same melody and he, and he changes it in various. And they're going to have a confrontation. He says, is this Pasha Salem's house? And he gets a bureaucratic answer from Osmin. Who? He says, does this Pasha Salem That's Pasha Salem's house. He says, I have another work. I have to go. And Belmontes asks his second. Are you in his service? In other words, do you work for the Pasha Salem? I'm in his service. And then he asks, How can I find my friend Pedrillo, who's my valet? Red flag, boom. Osmin explodes. He hates Pedrillo. And he tells us about it. Finally, they have a confrontation. And off. Now, here's more Turkish music. This is Osmin saying that Pedrino should be have his head chopped off and his limbs chopped off. He should be burned. He'd be at a stake. Mozart wrote a beautiful letter about this. It gives us a hint about his whole, uh, his whole idea of composition and music. He said, however ugly the emotions expressed by a character, the music must always be beautiful and pleasing to the ear. I quote that letter very often when, when singers tell me, well, it's uh, such a terrible person and moment that you shouldn't make music here, you should shout. And I said, well, no, <laughs> and this is why. Now, of course, that breaks down in the 20th century, and it should, but that was Mozart's, uh, that was Mozart's aesthetic. A love song, Belmonte is in love, he calls to Constanza in his mind, and when he sings, you can hear his heart beating, like, like a good tenor in love, palpitating heart. Then come, comes the Pasha Salem, introduced by this chorus. So here is an example 
of dialogue. That's what that sounds like. Now, we are doing the dialogues in English and the singing in German. So they will be going back and forth between the two languages. This has become a common practice recently. Constanza sings. She tells us that she was in love, but she was, she was separated from her loved one. And when this aria gets going, there's a fast part. And listen to this now. This is writing very similar to the to the Queen of the Night. Something like precedes it by 10 years. When Osmin and Blonde argue, there's sad Osmin in minor key, C minor now. He says, you Englishmen better be careful because your wives, you shouldn't let them behave like this. And Blonchen sings, a woman born to freedom should never accept this type of behavior. And then G minor comes back. Constanza sings of her deep sadness. Traurigkeit is the name of this aria, and that means sadness. It's in G minor, it's like Pamina. We've had a hint already in a comic way, sort of, with Osmin. And now comes the most extraordinary piece right in the middle of the opera. It's an, uh, it's an aria for Constanza, her second one. It is a virtuoso aria with lots of high notes. But it, is, uh, it features four solo instruments, a solo violin, a solo cello, a solo oboe, and a solo flute. We really don't know why Mozart did this uh, for dramatic reasons, and it's often considered by directors a dramatic problem, uh, because it's like a concert aria. Um, I remember from the production I did with Giorgio Strehler many years ago, he simply stopped the action, brought her out, pulled out a little curtain, and Constanza sang her, sang her aria and went back in. Um, it makes sense. It has no reason to be there except the, uh, the emotions expressed. He says, I'll torture you, I'll torture you until you say yes, and she says, give me every torture I'm resisting. Here it is. Here it has a heroic quality. Oboe. Violin. Flute. And, and cello. And it gets developed like a symphony. Okay. That's her singing. And then another excerpt. And there she goes again. In the style of the Queen of the, of the Night. 
a chance. After this, this aria, I think you will want to applaud. And, and we have a marvelous cast, and you're going to. This is an extraordinarily difficult aria, and I, I believe it will be very well done. Uh, the, uh, perhaps the masterpiece of the entire opera, in my mind, is the quartet at the end of Act Two. Uh, this is where the lovers come together, uh, well, where Constanza and Belmonte see each other for the first time. Um, it's built like a, um, uh, like a little a scene all of itself. Belmonte sees Constanza. They are, of course, en enthralled with their love, and Pedrillo and Blanchin look happily at the side. That's the first section. The second section gets darker, goes into the minor key. There's a little, little thing, a little question has to be asked. Belmonte to Constanza, you've been living with the Pasha. Have you been faithful? Pedrino says, you know, I'm just about to lose my he uh, head because we're going to steal you and I could get killed for that. Are you, uh, has your behavior merited that? You've been around Osmin. Have you been faithful to Osmin? Both women, rightfully, are offended. Uh, there's a confrontation. Both women forgive their men. They're all together. But it's a very important scene. It is, in fact, a precursor of the long extended finales that we find in the marriage of figaro in don giovanni in cosi fan tutti at the end of the first act uh, and to some degree is also the magic flute it's all contained in a 10 minute scene i have one last excerpt i'm playing for you before we run off and it is this is Osmin celebrating because he has caught Pedrillo, Blonchin, Constanza, and Belmonte, and he is going to be able to punish them. He is, after all, an overseer. That's his job. And he's going to show off his low notes. And he's going to dance, and you see, he's a comic character. And I think the comedy he provides for us makes us forgive some of the things he says. And now, instead of singing high notes, That's a famous note. There are no lower notes in Mozart operas. That's the bottom of the barrel. <laughs> so it all and and it all comes to an end with Everybody's going to live happily ever after. Maybe Osmin, a little bit less. Uh, maybe the Pasha will remember this very special relationship. But Mozart forgives everybody and puts the universe back to its Humpty Dumpty. He puts the universe back together. I don't know a single Mozart opera that we don't leave feeling better than we did when we came in. 
because his sense of the harmony of the, of the universe is such that he shows us all the foibles of humanity, all their ups and downs, their strengths and their weaknesses, forgives them all at the end and says it's all okay. And that's all. And there it is. Enjoy yourselves, have a great time. Thank you for coming. Hope to see you again soon.